we're going to jump into a new series through August. And since August is kind of starting to gear up for fall and people are transitioning back from summer and kind of re-engaging in things, I thought it was a good time for us as a church as well to re-engage and kind of refocus on what's important. And so for this month, we're going to both internally and externally as a church refocus on who we are and what are we all about. We're going to take a look at our purpose statement again and look at it from a number of different aspects. We'll have a guest speaker, uh, one of our district church planters from San Antonio who just recently planted. Uh, will be coming to speak during one of the times to give us an experience of what it's like to go through that because that's something that we are looking forward to uh, as in our project and planting here and doing some of those things. And I think it's just a reminder of who we are and what we're about. Because I don't know about you, but as you get off of your usual routine or just as life happens, Oftentimes, we, we start accumulating more things. We add more stuff to our schedule. Our kids have another activity. We have another event that we start in. And every time we add those things, you know what our problem is? We never, ever subtract anything else from our schedule. And so pretty soon, we have all this stuff that we're doing. And they're oftentimes good things. But they're not the most important things. And so this series is all about that. It's, it's kind of refocusing on what we're really about. And what refocusing does, if you understand focusing, is it causes you to look at what's most important and the things that are outside of that tend to blur out and you see them more properly in the perspective they need to be. And so that's my hope as we go through this month, that we can refocus on the things that are really important in our lives and to God and realize that some of the things that we've added to our life, they're, they're good but they're not most important, and they're not really helping us in who we are intended to be. So I want to show you a verse, kind of a one verse that's kind of a theme for the whole series, even though I'm not going to preach on it, is in Matthew 5. Jesus makes this statement about us, his people. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then he says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here's, I think, the gist of what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about two aspects of who we are as, as believers. The salt, he's talking about our internal character. He says, that's what we are. We're salty. We're different because of who God has made us to be. And if we lose that saltiness, then we're useless. Even though salt is intended, he says, you're the salt of the earth. He doesn't say you're the salt of the salt shaker. You're the salt of the earth. You're to be spread out to season and to preserve what is yucky in this world. That's what you do with a salt shaker. But if it doesn't have any saltiness, then it's really ineffective. So we're going to spend some time today in particular talking about our saltiness. What is it that makes us unique so that we are effective when we're spread out? So Jesus is talking about our internal character, but the second statement is a statement about our external position. 
He says, not are you just salty. He's not just saying, get as salty as you can be, because that's what we often do as Christians as well. I want to get as salty, as holy as I can. I'm going to retract myself from anything that's in this world, and I'm going to hole up, and I'm only going to live with Christians. I'm only going to talk to Christians. I'm only going to work with Christians. I'm only going to do business with Christians, and I want to live just in this little salt shaker. But Jesus gives us a second illustration to say, well, you're also the light of the world. And he says, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. You don't hide it. You don't put every single light bulb in your home in one spot. You spread them out through the darkness so that it can light up everything around it. And he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. That's part of our mission as well, is we can, we can stay here in this nice little church we can remain in this one spot and be very salty. But God's also called us to be light throughout our city. He's called you to be light throughout our city, which means you have to walk into some dark places and choose to shine in those spots. So those are the two things we're going to look at over the next few weeks is this internal and external thing and, and how that reminds us of who we are as God's people. If you remember our mission statement, I'm going to have you say it with me right now real quick. But our mission statement says this. It says, we exist or our purpose is to lead our city. Say that with me. To lead our city. Okay, that was okay, but come on. Come on, we're getting back. So to lead our city into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. Okay, say that again. To lead our city into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. Okay, we're going to see, look at different aspects of that throughout this series. Today, as you see in your notes, we're going to talk about the life-changing relationship personally. What's at the heart of that? What changes in us? What does that look like for us? And what's at the core of it. So if you have your Bible with you, open it up to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 is where we're, we'll start today. We'll pray here in a minute. John 14, we're going to look at verses 15 through 24, which is part of a, uh, one of Jesus' final huge messages he had with his disciples. This was given, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. If you, you know the setting when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples that last night, this is what, what he taught them. So he has a very small audience with him. He's spending some of the most intimate time with his closest followers at that moment. And he's sharing some of these things that we're going to look at today to keep them focused on what they were to be all about. So let's pray and then we'll jump into this passage today. Father, we are excited to be able to open your word as freely as we do. And Lord, I pray that uh, even though we will at times and we often do take for granted how uh, much access and how freely we have access to your word, I pray that as we gather in these moments and as we remember how, how much you love us, that these wouldn't just be words on a page or, or a, a religious book, but they would be a conversation of the God of this universe to us. That, Lord, we would place ourselves in these moments 
and see you, the, the one who is before all things, the one who created everything in this world, who is all-powerful and all-knowing, speaking to us, Lord, created finite beings, broken beings, because of your love for this world. So, Lord, would you speak the things that we need to hear today so that we can focus on what's most important, what's primary, what's first and foremost in our lives. Ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three things I think we see in this passage, three marks of a life-changing relationship that Jesus is going to share with his disciples that I think are so key in here. One is a supernatural change. A second is a supernatural partner. And the third is a supernatural community. And this is huge, what Jesus is sharing with them uh, in this passage. A supernatural change that we we're talking about in our purpose, a supernatural partner, and a supernatural community. These three things, that if you'll pause and, and ponder them and think about them, will totally transform your life. And in fact, answer almost every challenge and issue and struggle you might face in life can be answered by these three things. So let's see what Jesus has to say, uh, starting in uh, John 14, uh, 15 through 24. Now remember, this is a, a small group he's talking with his disciples. This isn't a message he preached on the side of the mountain. It's a very intimate conversation that he's having with them. And he's sharing th those things that if you uh, could imagine, uh, uh, say, a last conversation you knew you were having with the people closest to you, you get an idea of how significant this section of scripture is. Jesus knew he was only gonna be with them for a few more hours. Not days, not months, not years, hours at this point. And so he says these things to him. He says in John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will love, or I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit here. We'll talk about that here. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So remember, this is a different time. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. The Old Testament, the Holy Spirit uh, dwelled with, or he basically worked with, say, a king and a prophet and, and certain people at times. But in the New Testament, when come Pentecost, God made the promise of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and with every, within every believer. So this is transitional even for them. He says, hey, my disciples, the Holy Spirit has been with you. He's been a guide to you. But in a moment, in a few days, he's going to be dwelling in you. Once this is is complete and God fulfills his promise, he's gonna be in you. And then he makes this promise, he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, 
who betrayed him, another Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Three things, I think, as well as others, but three key things Jesus wants us to see, wanted his disciples to see, a supernatural change, a supernatural partner, and a supernatural community. The first one is really the main point of this whole section. The other two points I'm gonna spend some brief time on, but this is the gist of it. This is gonna be the majority of our message, and it's the majority of the point today and Jesus' point here, and that's this. If I love Jesus, I will begin a journey of transformational obedience. If I love Jesus, I will begin a journey of transformational obedience. Now, this is not rocket science. Okay, this is some basic, not just Bible study methods, but just listening to people in general. Kids, here's a hint for you. If your parents say something over and over and over and over and over again to you, let me just give you a little hint. It's pretty important to them, okay? Just pick up on that little hint. That'll save you a whole lot of pain in your life. Uh, that, that's, they say it over and over again, partly because you're deaf until you're like 25 years old. That's something I've learned. It's a physical fact. Ask any doctor. You don't hear anyone any older than you until you're 25. But the other thing is it's important, okay? So if you love Jesus, you'll begin a, a life-transforming relationship. Look at how Jesus says this four different times in this passage. Three times in the positive, once in the negative. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then he says in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Then Jesus answered him, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then he says it in the negative because he just wants to slip it in one more time without getting us going, come on, Jesus, you've told us already. So this is what parents do. They flip it around a little bit so they can say they're telling you something different. But it's really the same thing. Whoever does not love me, does not keep my words. This is really important. There's a huge connection in here between love and obedience. And Jesus is emphasizing this main point that love for Jesus will result in a transformation in our lives. It results in us obeying him more and more and more. It's just how it is. I want you to watch this video real quick of a, a family in our church as they talk about that journey in their lives. Well, the, the first thing I feel that my life has now that it didn't have is the correct purpose. And knowing and understanding the gospel the way I understand it now in comparison to how I did in the past. Uh, we, we did feel in the past, uh, coming from Catholicism, that, that you had to do, 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 and if you didn't check off this box and this box and this box, there was no, no, no for you. And uh, so I carried a lot of guilt into this new walk with, with Christ. I mean, just to know that, that I, I am saved, not by my works, but by what he did. Um, it's, it's a game changer. And now 
life used to be about so many other things, whether they be uh, superficial, whether they be material, whether they be just uh, business related, uh, recreation. Life is now God-centered and the goal of our family, now, now we have more family goals, more, more goals for our children. And, and, and that leads me to say that um, the purpose for life now is to bring up my children in a way in which they know and love Jesus Christ and worship Jesus Christ. The, the children are, there's are a, happy. Yeah, they're happier. There's a pronounced change in, in their lives. They, I think that was one of my biggest guilts, that my children didn't understand God. And I didn't know how to explain it to them because um, I guess when you go to Catholic Church, you just go and you sit them there with you and they don't, whatever they understand, they understand. And so coming here and having them have their own class and learn at their own pace what who God is and you know what he does in our lives I think that has brought the greatest joy in my life for me seeing them wanting to come every Sunday you know sometimes they're the ones waking us up in the mornings because they want to come to church and to me that that's the biggest blessing of all it really is Two things as we look at this passage are really important. Uh, common errors that can come up from it in terms of what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying and, and how the rest of the Bible speaks into it is, is one thing is he talks about, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. One error we can make is that keeping Jesus' commandments equals love for him. That's a, a very common error. Keeping Jesus' commandments equals love for him. And that's not what Jesus is saying in this passage at all. One is the root, the other is the fruit. They are not equal. You can do all the things that Jesus says, and that's what the Pharisees ultimately did, at least in an external way, and still have no love for him. One is the cause, that's this love. The other is the effect of it. It's the love that leads to obedience, not vice versa. In fact, whenever we obey for any reason other than love, it becomes very unhealthy in our lives. It can become manipulative, and we do this all the time. Okay, God, I'll do this. I'll go to church, or I'll, I'll date the right people. I'll, I'll withstand. I'll do these things. But then what happens when we don't do it out of love, we do it out of manipulation or out of a self-righteousness, is we start to hold God under our obligation. But God, you owe me then. I've gone to church. I've done all these things. I'm doing this, God. You owe me this kind of life. That's manipulation. That's not love. That's a self-righteousness. The other thing that when we just willpower these things and don't do them out of love, we become extremely smug and self-righteous towards the sinners in this world. Because, like my statement is, we tend to see them as the sinners. But look at me, I'm doing everything that God says I should do. So never equate obedience to his commands with love for him. One is the root, it's love for him that's always first, always primary. And when you have that love for him, it will naturally result in obedience to him. 
See, when you love Jesus, when you facilitate and foster that love, you will want to, you'll desire to, and you will begin to obey him. That's just what happens when you truly love someone. Here's a second error that can come up from this passage, is until we love God, he won't love us. And it, and it can seem that way by the way Jesus says it. He says, I will ask the Father. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So he's saying, if you love me, that's the condition. You will keep my commandments. And then he says two other things. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, even the spirit who come, the world cannot receive. And then later on, he says, if you love me, then my Father will love you, and I will come to you. So you see this conditional aspect that, hey, if we love God, then he's going to love us back. It can almost be wrongly, and some people will wrongly make this conclusion, that it's our love that initiates, and then it's his that's in response. Here's where we need the rest of the Bible to put this in context. Let me just share some verses, very common verses that communicate clearly uh, other aspects of God's love. One is John 3.16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This talks about God's salvific love, his love for a world that was a mess even before we knew we were a mess. Romans 5.8 is another passage that reminds us of this aspect of God's love. It says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. Meaning before we ever loved or responded to him, he loved us. 1 John uh, 4, 10 and 19 say it really well. Listen to this. He says, in verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfactory substitute for our sins. Later on in verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. So don't make the mistake from this passage that until we love God, he doesn't love us. Jesus is talking in this passage about another facet of God's love, not just his salvific, unconditional love. Remember the audience that Jesus is talking to in this passage? Who's he talking to? His disciples. Is he talking to the world? Is he preaching to the masses? No, he's talking to his disciples who already are in a relationship with him. And he's revealing another aspect of God's love. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it's important to at least open this category in our minds as Christians because there's a lot of bad information about and, and just shallow information about the love of God in our world. God's love is so complex that it cannot be categorized by just one thing. But yet we often, especially as Christians, just make it this blanket love that it's exactly the same for every single person in every single situation and everywhere in the world. And there are multiple facets to God's love. There's a salvific aspect of his love that's available to anyone who will respond. It's an unconditional aspect. There's a providential aspect of his love, that he loves his whole creation, and he loves this world, and he provides, as the Bible says, rain for the righteous and the wicked. That's his providential and unconditional love in those aspects. But there's also a conditional love that God has for his children who love him and respond to him the way they should. 
That's what Jesus is talking about here, that you will experience a unique love from God based on how you choose to love him. Now, some of you might be going, oh, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. Let me just explain it. And again, I'm not using this as a perfect illustration, but it's a, a, a similar reality. We all, as Christians, love others as well. But I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't love every single one of you in this church exactly the same. And that's not necessarily good or bad about you. There's a general love I have for everyone. There's a general love I have for this whole city, even people who treat me poorly, where I want them to know the Father. But people who engage in a loving relationship with me, I have different feelings for them than people who are in this church that I know are believers, but don't treat me that well. I have a conditional love or an unconditional love for them that's equal, but this is just the reality. That's how you are. You are a liar if you tell me I love every single person in this church exactly the same because I've heard how you've talked about some other people in our church, so don't lie to me. I'm just saying the same is true. If I loved everyone in here the way I love my wife, I'd be in trouble. (laughs) That's what God is talking about here. He has unique love for people based on how we respond to him conditionally. And Jesus is saying the same thing here. Your willingness to obey and love God will result in a deeper intimacy with him that you would not have if you chose to do otherwise. I'm not talking about saving you. That's not what this love here is, is a salvific love. This is a conditional, like a parental love we have, even as you might have for your children. You love all your children exactly the same in one aspect. But you'd be lying if you said you feel exactly the same about every one of them, regardless of how they behave within your household. It's just not true. That's not a bad thing. It's a different aspect of love. And you are going to reveal or give more to a child who's obedient and following your will than you are to one who is not. And that's another aspect of God's love that we don't talk about very well as Christians. Yet it's very clear in the Bible. Anyways, I belabored that a little bit too much, but it was an important point that we needed to talk about here. Here's the heart of this. Is, is in, our, in our relationship with God, in this life-changing relationship, you always need to address your heart. It's so important to always look at what's going on in your heart as you grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. As, as he said, you should love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. So everything, but he starts with the heart because that's where it begins. If you love me from your heart, you will obey me. That's the other aspects, the will and the soul and the strength that come into a part. So always address your heart. If you do all these things, if you read your Bible, if you sing songs, if you go to church, if you give to the church, and you aren't doing those things out of a love response to Jesus, then you're deceiving yourself and you're actually harming yourself. It must start here in the heart. Think about it, when when Jesus approached Peter, after Peter had denied him, and Jesus died then, he resurrected and he met him out in the shores when they were out fishing, remember Peter went running in, and the first time Jesus addressed Peter afterwards. You remember the conversation? Most people remember the kind of the gist of the conversation, right? They were walking along and, and, and Jesus stopped and he turned to him and said, Peter, will you obey me? 
Oh, wait, that wasn't what it was, right? He said, Peter, will you keep my commandments? Oh, I'm sorry, I've been on, I'm on vacation for a while, so I'm forgetting something. He said, Peter, will you give your tithes more regularly? No, that wasn't it. Well, Peter, will you go on a mission trip for me? Wait, what, was, what, did, what did he say? Help me out. Do you love me? He said, Peter, do you love me? How many times did he ask him? Three times. Now let me ask you something. Did Jesus know already? Obviously he did, right? But who had forgotten? Peter had forgotten. You see, every sin you ever commit is either because you don't love Jesus in the first place or you do love him, but you've forgotten how primary that love is. That's just how it works. That's where we need to go back to every single time. Uh, you're saying, but, but Chad, I mean, if he loves him, what do you mean remembering he loves? How do you forget what you love? Well, let me, let me illustrate a little bit with some stories. You know, it, 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 over this break, we got to go back, my wife and I, to visit our parents. And so one of the things, whenever we get back to Minnesota, is there's this restaurant called Devani's. Makes me smile just saying it, Devani's. Just say it, and it makes you smile. It's this pizza Italian place. There was one right across the street from the college that we both went to, and, and it's like phenomenal hoagies and pizza, and we just love Devani's. And, and every time we go back, we try to eat there as many times as we possibly can. We got there twice this time, but we ate there the first day we got there. And I remember just each time we ate there, I'd just sit there and I'd be eating my pizza, or I think I tried the hoagie. They have this cheese bread where like the cheese just like oozes off over the side of it. I mean, it's incredible. And I always catch myself saying, you know what? Every time I eat Devani's, I, I, I remember how much I love their pizza. You ever said anything like that? And you think about it, you go, man, I, I forgot how much I love Devani's. And one of the challenges is, is that I'm separated from Devani's. I don't have her, her close to me. And so I forget about her love. And, 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 and it's not that I don't love Devani's when I'm down here in Laredo. I have an everlasting love for Devani's. I will always love her. But because of the distance, I forget. In fact, sometimes I feel unfaithful when we order Domino's. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. But once I'm back in, in her presence and once I taste, I go, I forget how much I love Devani's. You know, I, I, I say that in a silly way, but the truth is, is sometimes in life, we just drift from Jesus. We get away from the things that remind us of our love for him. And if you allow that distance into your relationship, you're gonna forget how much he really means to you. And some of you have done that. And when you do that, you're gonna struggle to obey him because you're gonna try to obey him in your own strength, in your own will, in your own power, and that never changes you. You need to get back close to him. Draw, he, he hasn't gone anywhere. You and I are the ones that drift. Another thing that, that hit me too, because it's not just about drifting away or distance. Sometimes the person's right there. And, and one of the things over July that my wife and I try to do every year is, is we try to get away uh, as a couple. 
no kids. That's something I challenge for us when you're so far from your family. So we always try to make a point and figure out how can we get away for a little while, uh, just you and I. And whenever we do, I find myself, both of us saying the exact same thing. You go, you know what? I forget how much I love you. I forget how much I just enjoy being with you. Every time we do it. Now, it's not that I don't love my wife. I mean, she might say that periodically here and there, but that's not the point. I live with her every single day of my life. I can pretty much reach over every time at night and touch her. It's not that she's distant from me like Devani's is. She's, you know, my distant lover. She's my close (laughs) one. But you know what happens? We get distracted with life. We got kids, and then then you have more kids, and sometimes you even have more kids. And then they have activities, and then you get busy with just other things in life. And sometimes you just forget to do the things that remind you of the, the love that you have for something. So it's not necessarily just that you never loved. We are just creatures who so easily forget. My guess is, is that's true of many of us here today. I just want to ask you, what has caused your love for Jesus to wane? Just be honest. Just, just think in your head, what is it? Are you, have you drifted from him? Maybe it is a kind of a distance thing and you've just stopped even being close enough to him to, to really remember how much you really love him and how overwhelmed you are with what he's done for you in your life. Or maybe you're still going through all the motions, you're in the right spots and you're in your small group and you're in your church on Sundays and you're kind of doing those things, but, but the moment you leave those things, you're so distracted, you're so busy, and they're great things. You got kids going here and you got this going on at work and you got these hobbies and man, you had this opportunity come up. Man, you got so much going on. But in the midst of that, you forget that none of those things compare. And there's nothing wrong with those things in proper proportion, but none of those things compare to what you felt, what you realized when you first met Jesus Christ and recognized what he did for you in your life. And then you've just kind of let that drift. I want to challenge you to think about that today, because nothing else you do is going to change you like loving him. Nothing else is going to impact your life like that relationship and and facilitating that love with him. Let's go to the second point. Second one, and and these are kind of the the hows. How, How can I do this? How can I find the strength to change? How can I carry this out, Chad. This love is just too much. I mean, it's crazy. Well, Jesus promised that here as well. And his second promise, his second supernatural uh, promise is a, a partner. And he said, I'm going to give it to you like this, and we'll look at the passage. He says, if I love Jesus, not only will it be a transformational obedience, but if I love Jesus, I receive the Holy Spirit permanently. I receive the Holy Spirit permanently. Jesus said this to him in verses 16 and 17. He says, and I will ask the Father, if you love me and you keep my commandments, that condition, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Who is that helper? He tells us in verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive 
because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, that, those words aren't intended for us because they're in a different time period. The Spirit hasn't come yet. For us, just the second half applies to us. He will be in you. We are post-Pentecost when the Spirit came and indwelled believers. So the moment we love Jesus, the moment that change happens in our hearts, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. That's our promise. And this Holy Spirit will empower you and instruct you and advocate for you. In fact, the words Jesus uses are pretty powerful. The word here for helper, the parakletos, is a word that means two things. It's a combined word. Para means alongside or with. And kleteo, which is the word that means to call. He's the one who comes along and calls, calls alongside us. Which means he might encourage us. He might even intercede for us. He comes alongside and calls out to the Father and and reminds us our spirit and the Father that we are children of God. He's another helper to us. Notice Jesus says another helper. That means another one has existed. And what's also fascinating in this passage, and when Jesus says another helper, there are two words he could have easily used in the Greek to describe another helper. One is heteron. It's the Greek word that means another of a different kind, something totally different. Like, here's my glasses. I could give you some glasses, but I could also give you another pair of glasses that are totally different. That's not the word Jesus uses. He uses the Greek word alas. And alas means another of the exact same kind. Meaning made it of the exact same stuff which is how we know the Holy Spirit is not some vague force, not some general object. He's a person. He's a live, living, supernatural person that indwells within us, that's fully God indwelling you and me. And he's the one that fills us He's the one that empowers us. He's the one that continues this work and changes us as he does this. And to be filled by the Spirit is to be dominated by him. If you are filled by a person in life and we are like this, that person influences your decisions. They capture your thoughts. You're wondering what they're thinking. You follow them on Instagram and, oh, I want to be like them. If it's an athlete, you're wearing the clothes they're wearing. You're doing the workouts they're doing. If it's a stylist, you're checking into, oh, what do they decorate with today or what are they doing for their diet plan this week? You follow those people and you want to know everything there is about them. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. The difference is the Holy Spirit is not here to draw attention to himself. He is here to draw attention to the person of Jesus Christ. He glorifies the Son. And so when you are filled with the Spirit, you are dominated by the life of Jesus Christ. You want to know what he thinks. You want to know what he said. You want to know what he's doing, what he's wearing. I don't know if he's wearing Steph Curry's or KD's. I'm not sure what he's got, but you want to match what he's got, right? And we have him. He's here with us permanently in our lives. The third thing we have is in the form of a community. If I love Jesus, I have a a promise of eternal fellowship with God. If I love Jesus, I have a promise of eternal fellowship with God. Jesus said it this way in verses 18 through 20. 
He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. He talks about this perfect interwoven fellowship that we have and will have in that day. And, and in that day, the commentators interpret it in a lot of different ways, and I think there's truth in all of them, but I don't think Jesus is trying to be overly specific. I think he was trying to make his greater point is that I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I am going to be with you. Now, there's multiple partial fulfillments. He's going to be resurrected, and they're going to see him again, but that was only for a short period that the disciples saw him, and he was gone. Then the Holy Spirit came, so then he was with them through the person of the Holy Spirit for this period, but we still don't see him. We don't still have perfect fellowship, uninhibited fellowship with him. But that day will also be when he returns and he takes us home, and at that moment, you are going to know a fellowship with God like you've never known in this world. And it's yours right now. It is promised to you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Here's why I think this is so important. The security of community drives most of the decisions we make in life. The reality is most of us obey because we want to be accepted by something. We obey in order to get security. Where Jesus offers security to free us to obey. See, some of you are in a relationship with a boy or a girl right now, and you're doing everything you can to obey them. And I say that like pleasing them. Their priorities are your priorities. You're doing all those things because you think, if I just do all this stuff, they're going to stay with me in this relationship. It's never going to work for you. Some of you, you do it in your work, your, the way you do business in your community, you say, as long as I perform at these levels, this is just the way things are done, and as long as I keep my status within this community, I'm in this community, and as long as I do things the way everyone does, I dress the right way, I hang out at the right places, my performance, my obedience to these rules, these unwritten rules, is what gets me accepted into this little society. And that works for a little while, but it never works indefinitely. In fact, even if it did work indefinitely, it would exhaust you trying to keep that kind of relationship. But yet we do. We're all doing it. We're all obeying some guidelines in order to be accepted. But every single one of those groups is going to let you down. Every single one of those people is going to let you down. And Jesus turns the tables on us. He says, you're already mine. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. In fact, when I come back, you're going to see the community that is going to be yours to enjoy forever. It's going to be like nothing you've ever experienced here. You see, when you let those truths sink into your heart, when you understand the depth of God's love for you and the promises he has made to you, it frees you to obey out of love rather than to try to do something to get someone to love you. That'll never work. That'll never last. That's what's so amazing about the gospel. See, we have all failed the standard God set. 
We've not earned his love. We've not obeyed his commands. We haven't done any of these things that Jesus said here. And yet he loves us. Enter Jesus. You see, this is where Jesus comes in. Jesus is the first helper. We see the, in this passage that he's sending another helper, but Jesus was the first helper. He's the one that became a man and lived the only perfect life of love for his father. Wherever his father told him to go, whatever his father asked him to do, Jesus did it. Think about it. You mean, Father, you want me to, to clothe myself in flesh, to put limits on myself when all I've ever known is being omnipresent and all-powerful. You want me to take on human flesh and go and live on the earth when all I've ever known is perfect freedom and power? Yes, Father, because I love you. Wait a minute. You, so you want me to go down and, and be rejected by the very people that I created? be mocked by the, the, the very people who are my own race and, and who I was sent to, and, and then be deserted by my closest friends. You want me to do that, Father? And when all I've ever known is perfect fellowship with you, all I've ever known is absolute acceptance and love and joy with you, you want me to go down and experience that? Yes, Father, because I love you but is that all you want me to do, Father? No, son. I have one more thing that I'm asking you to do. Yes, Father, what is it? What would you like me to do? Well, once you've obeyed me perfectly, once you've done everything I've asked you to do as the only perfect human being, I have one more thing I need you to do. I need you to take the sins of this world upon your shoulders. In fact, I'm going to place them all on you as if you were the worst sinner and criminal in the world. And in the midst of that time when I am placing their sin upon you, I'm gonna turn my back on you. I'm gonna reject you as my son. And I'm gonna pour out my wrath and my anger and my righteousness on all the sins of the world. I'm gonna pour those out on you, my son. That's the last thing I need you to do. But, but Father, after obeying you perfectly, why would you do that to me? Because, son, I'm going to give you the sin of this world and judge you for it so that we can offer the sinners in this world a love that they don't deserve. Their lives and their sin and their consequences will be put on you so that your love and the consequences of your love, eternal life, can be offered to them. And Jesus said, yes, Father, because I love you, I will obey you. 